Good evening, River's Edge. Great to be with you this evening. Welcome to our second Sunday as a church. Uh, if you were with us last week, you know that we're starting our life as a church with a vision series. And the vision series is designed to give us a common understanding of who we are as a community and where God is calling us. And all of it, everything we're going to talk about in the vision series, centers around one central phrase. Our identity and calling as a church can be summed up this way. We, at River's Edge, are a family of missionary disciples who live to see God's will done in Spokane as it is in heaven. And we are going to spend the entire vision series unpacking what this means. If you were here with us last week, you'll remember that we unpacked the first identity marker, which is family. And we attempted to answer the question, what does it mean to be the family of God? If you missed last week, please go back and listen to the podcast as the vision series is going to be central to how we operate as a church moving forward. But the best way I can sum up last week is that we are all brothers and sisters adopted in and through Jesus into the family of God. And our reconciliation to God and one another should completely change the way that we live our life together as a community. This week, we are continuing in the vision series by drawing out a key and important aspect of this family, which is our identity as missionaries. So today, we will attempt to answer the question, what does it mean to be a missionary? We are going to start like we did last week in the beginning. So turn with me, if you have a Bible, to Genesis 12, verse 1, and we'll go ahead and get started. Genesis 12, verse 1, which for most of you is about 10 pages into your Bibles. If you were here with us last week, you'll remember that we discussed how human beings were created in God's image to reflect the likeness and character of the invisible God into the seen world. And that due to our unique and intimate relationship with God, this reflection would have been a natural one. God's family was intact and functioning as intended. But then, humanity broke away from God, rejecting his leadership and rejecting his blessing, and going their own direction. And this event is known in theology as the fall. Humanity fell from their privileged place of beautiful, intimate connection with God, and essentially slipped into self-sufficiency and more or less hell on earth. Adam and Eve are cut off from the tree of life and lose the complete intimacy that they had with God. And as a result, they're now subject to entropy and sin and ultimately death. 
And as you read through the first few chapters of Genesis, what you see is the situation going from bad to worse. Humanity has forgotten God, and in doing so, they've forgotten what it means to be human. And so every relationship and every aspect of their humanity is thrown into chaos. And while Adam and Eve experience shame and guilt and they engage in blame shifting and distrust, this is only the beginning. Because their children aren't just rude to each other as a result of that severed connection from God, they murder each other. And slowly as the story unfolds through Genesis, we see just how dark humanity is apart from God. By chapter 6, things have gotten even worse, and it says that every inclination of the human heart was to do evil all the time, which is basically a taste of hell on earth. And so God, in his mercy, wipes the slate clean. He, He puts an end to it. And using Noah and his family, he sort of hits the reset button on humanity. And so Noah then, in a sense, is like a new Adam, uh, set loose in this this new sort of cleared earth and told, again, to multiply and spread out and reflect God into the world, to rule over the world in connection and communion with God. And and this post-flood humanity uh, at first actually looks better than the pre-flood version of it. But pretty quickly, as you get into the story, um, you see that things start to go downhill pretty quickly. The virus that is sin begins to take hold and spread across creation all over again. And so what we see is that humanity is still operating largely apart from God, and for anyone to, quote, call on the name of the Lord, to use Old Testament phrasing, it is a tragically rare thing. And so God asked humanity, hey, spread out all over the world and make my name great. And instead, what humanity does in chapters 10 and 11 is they all bunch together and they build a city and a tower to make their own names great and boast about their self-sufficiency. They, they disobey every single thing that God had asked them to do. And so God finds a way to scatter them from that city uh, and keeps them spreading out. And then in an act of judgment, really, God allows humanity to worship whatever they want. He, he turns them over, so to speak, to self-worship into the worship of technology and the worship of other gods and idols and the worship of sex and money and power. And that basically sums up kind of where we're at today, globally, as as humanity. It seems that the average human being would rather worship or center their lives around almost anything except Yahweh. And this is a problem, not for God, because we find out pretty quickly that he doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need our worship or attention. He, he has everything he needs. It, but in a sense, it, it is a problem for God 
because he wants everything for us. And so into a world characterized by self-centeredness and idolatry, headed towards spiritual and physical death, God starts a movement. He he sets a a redemption plan in motion. And, And this really is the story of the scriptures. That that God is pursuing us, intent on giving grace and blessing and even eternal life to people who really want nothing to do with him and would rather persist in death. And and so what we see in the garden with Adam and Eve uh, is that rather than running from Adam and Eve and the sin that they've committed, um, God actually runs to them and seeks them out which really messes with our idea of holiness, right? Because we have this idea that, that holiness means that you're, you're holy, you're set apart, you're, you're removed from sin, and that, that we can't enter into the presence of God because of sin. Now, now we can't. But God's holiness, what we see in the scriptures, is that God's holiness compels him toward those in sin and darkness. He's not afraid of our sin. He actually wants to do something about it. So God has a plan for the redemption of humanity. But the unusual part of this plan is, is that God is intent on using human beings as part of the redemption plan for human beings. He wants to take the very people who messed everything up and, and use them as vessels in, in the redemption of it all. And it starts right here. It, it starts in Genesis 12. So we'll pick up in Genesis 12, verse 1. It says this. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, who will later be renamed Abraham, He says, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So at this point in the story, creation is still in tension and chaos, but something unusual just occurred. Because up to this point, God has been doing things on a massive scale, ordering and inaugurating the universe, and revealing purpose, creating humanity, and, and bringing them into the garden. And then there's humanity-wide problems and a global flood, and now all of humanity still needs saving. And and so there's a sense here in Genesis 12 where God stands to his feet to do something about this problem. And he can do anything he wants. That's how God works. He he, he could fashion any form of redemption plan that he desired. But what what does he do? He goes to an old, barren couple, and he says, Go. Go. Go from your father's household, which in in the ancient world meant 
leave everything that is known and comfortable behind and come follow me. And he gives him this blessing. He says, I will make you into a great nation, that's Israel, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. In fact, God says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This was God's promise or God's covenant with Abraham. This is God's redemption plan for humanity. From this moment forward, it was understood that Abraham and his offspring, would, would this Abrahamic family of blessing, would be blessed by God and that they would be a blessing to all the nations on earth. That somehow God's redemption plan for humanity was going to involve this Abrahamic family. And the rest of scripture from this point forward centers around God fulfilling this covenant. And so Abraham's family becomes a nation that's called Israel. And they actually have a central role to play in God's redemption plan. And he rescues them out of slavery and brings them through the Red Sea. And they're on the other side of the Red Sea. And God says in Exodus 19, he says, hey, listen up. This, that's not exactly how he said it. This is me, my, my paraphrase. He said, he said, hey, listen up. I, I didn't just save you so that you could be saved. I, I'm not just blessing you so that you can be blessed. You actually have a role to play in, in this redemption plan that's unfolding. You, you're this Abrahamic family. You, you're blessed to be a blessing. And the story of the Abrahamic family continues. But, but there's one problem with the Israelites, and that's that they're human. And, and like all humans, going back to Adam and Eve, their tendency is to separate themselves from God and to separate themselves from one another. And so as you read the story of Israel, what you see is that they end up worshiping idols and other gods and sacrificing their children to other gods who are not Yahweh, and, and worshiping all of these other things. And most of Israel doesn't take the law of God seriously enough. And then there's some within Israel that take the law of God too seriously, and, and they lose track of God too. And so there's all of this turmoil and dysfunction within Israel, and, and it completely taints their relationship with the rest of the outside world. Their, their role in this redemption plan becomes, becomes really muddled and, and really difficult because of their internal struggle. And, and in fact, they actually start hating people that God told them to love. And, and this saying comes about in Israel. They say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They know that they are the family of God born into the line of Abraham by birth and by right, we are the family of God. But, but they become in many ways a, a semi-dysfunctional, uh, inward-facing family that seeks to bless themselves at the expense of others. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And, and he has some very choice words for Israel, in particular the religious 
elite. And he starts calling them out and calling them back to their first love and calling them back to the mission of God. And then just to shake them up even more, he says, hey, God can make sons of Abraham out of these stones. You think you're special because you were born into the family of God. And I'm telling you that something new is coming. And it's going to be a struggle for you. This family, this Abrahamic, is about to get a lot bigger. That there's something new on the horizon. Because it turns out that God is still intent on using people in the redemption plan for other people. It, it, it turns out that he still wants to use a select group within humanity to bless the rest of humanity, that the Abrahamic covenant still stands. But in order to bless all the nations on the earth, that Abrahamic family had to get a lot bigger. And so then Jesus goes to a couple of fishermen in Matthew 4, and he says, essentially, go. Go from your father's household. Drop your nets. Drop everything that's comfortable and familiar to you and follow me. Let's, let's go. And he tells them about the gospel and he tells them about the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of God, which is really how God intended to bless all the nations on earth from the beginning. And, and he told them that the family of Abraham is actually now open to everyone and that anyone who wants salvation has it in Jesus. And then he sends them out into the nations. And so now, in a strange twist, this Abrahamic family of blessing it is spreading into the nations, and as people are adopted into that family, which we talked about last week, they're also given the message and told to then go and invite other people into this family. It, there's a strange other-centeredness to the family, a, a somewhat outward focus. Because it turns out that the point of the Abrahamic family was never just the Abrahamic family. And the point of Israel was never just Israel. And now the point of the church was never just the church. It, it's bigger than that. It, it, it always involves the outsider. Always. And so now you belong to a family. We talked about that last week. And this family is built around a person. That's Jesus. And so we come together to, to worship and enjoy and know Jesus. But this family doesn't exist for itself alone. In fact, as Jesus is seated at the middle of this family, he says some very familiar words. And if you're familiar with the storyline of the scriptures, we should practically be expecting these words by now. He says, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
Every follower of Jesus is commissioned as a missionary. And, and that language, missionary, is kind of foreign language. We, we don't really use that much day to day. We don't often see ourselves in any form of identity as, as a missionary. And, and so that, that language, though unfamiliar, and, and I recognize that it comes with a lot of baggage around it as well. But, but that word missionary, it just means sent one. That's it. We are a community of sent ones. But notice that start to finish, cover to cover through the scriptures, you're never alone. You have a community surrounding you. God is always with you. And more importantly, God will never ask you to do or be something that he is not or hasn't done already. He doesn't ask you to go out and do stuff that he hasn't done. And and so God comes to fallen humanity over and over again. And as we continue to scatter from the source of life, he sends Jesus to us. And, And then when Jesus has accomplished his tasks and resurrected from the dead, Jesus turns around and he says, hey, I'm going back to the Father because he sent me, he, he missionaried me to you. And, and I'm going back, but, but we're going to send you someone else. We're going to send you the Holy Spirit, the, the very presence of God, and he's going to equip you and empower you to then turn around and be sent out to the nations. Wait, wait for him. And and so within the Trinity, we see God the Father sending Jesus to humanity, who then returns and they send the Holy Spirit to us, that's the church, who then equips us and empowers us and sends us into the nations. Jesus says, hey, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. This this is how it works. We're we're getting caught up in in the activity of the Trinity. And and this isn't just for the elite. This is for everyone. Jesus commissions everyone of his followers. We we, we think, it's easy to think that the redemptive mission of God is something that the church participates in when we feel like it. Sort of on the side when we're we're able to. has a mission that we can engage in from time to time. But it's not that God's church has a mission. God's God's plan is bigger than that. It's that God's mission has a church. God is out to redeem all of humanity, and he's really good at it. But on some level, it requires our participation. We get caught up in the going and the sending. And I think as followers of Jesus, most of us actually want to see that. We want to see that happen here in this city. We want to see people come to know him. We, want, we love hearing the, those awesome stories. Um, the problem is, I don't know if we want to do it. I, I, don't, like, I don't want to be the sent one. I, I don't want to be the, the one out there having the difficult conversation. That's a, that's a scary thing. But, but there actually is something, in my opinion, a little scary about the way that God lays his mission at, at our feet. It, 
in a way that we can't ignore it or pretend that it doesn't exist. It, it, there's a sense in which we see a hurting world in front of us, and, and we hear that, that whispering voice of Jesus in the background saying, go, go and live your life. And as you do, make disciples. Not once a year on, on an international trip, not through a community of people who are constantly looking inward, as natural as that is, but by scattering all over the city, day in and day out, living on the mission of God, carrying the gospel of Jesus to people that don't know him yet. Because you are more central to God's redemption plan than you give yourself credit for. In fact, Jesus says that we are the salt of the world, which scatters all over the place and, and flavors and, and preserves. And he says, you, we are the light of the world. And as we gather, we're a beacon of hope and light for the world around us. And, and this is where we get that language. Some of you have noticed on our website and stuff, we say, River's Edge is a church that gathers that's what we're doing right, right now. The, the, the church it isn't a building, and it's not a nonprofit. It's people. So right now, you, we, the people, are gathered in one place. But in a few minutes, we're, we're going to scatter all over the city of Spokane. And I think that God cares more about the 166 hours a week that you're out there than the two hours a week you're in here. That, that the six and a half days with Jesus out there are, are more important even than the time that we spend here. Matt Karsh and I like to joke because we have a sign out front that you notice when you walk in and it's like a, a, a mirrored sandwich board. So as you're walking into the building, it says that River's Edge is in here, which is true. Right now, we're gathered. We're here. But you'll notice that as you walk out of the building, it says River's Edge is out there, which was a total mistake on the part of the sign. But I think it's actually theologically accurate. that The church is gathered here, but the second we head out those doors, we're out there. But it goes without saying that, that scattering well is difficult. If it is difficult for us to gather authentically as the family of God here on a Sunday and in, in, in missional communities throughout the week, if that's difficult for us to be a family gathered, then it's also going to be difficult for us to be missionaries scattered and, and to do that well. This is hard. And I'll be the first to admit that it's hard. As like an introverted, like just this whole idea is like frightening to me. And there's a sense in which it's not going to get any easier for us culturally. Most of you know that our, our culture, Central American culture, not Central American, that's weird. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. American culture, mainstream, is becoming more and more postmodern and post-Christian. So, so we're now moving into a world in which our faith is being challenged intellectually. 
it's being called into question at every level of the education system. It's being questioned morally. Hey, doesn't that make you a, a, a bigot? Really, really, you believe in God? Are you serious? And, and more and more, uh, we see secular culture going that way. That the things we believe from the outside in are viewed as outdated and naive and bigoted and even dangerous. So by identifying with the message of Jesus out there, we're opening ourselves up to all of it. And, and, and that's difficult. To condemnation and judgment and isolation and misunderstanding and failure and in the worst cases, hatred. That's why Jesus says, hey, come and die to yourself and, and follow me. Because you open yourself up to all of that stuff. But in the same moment, you're opening up new possibilities of faith and belief and reconciliation for the outsider and forgiveness and adoption and, and redemption and resurrection. And so we state that in the middle of cultural resistance and at the risk of opening ourselves up to all of that stuff, that it's worth it. That, that it's worth it to share this message as a blessing to every nation on earth. That even if God hadn't commanded us to do it, in theory, we would still do it. In the complete absence of a command. Because we believe that God has shared with us that the very key to life in the universe, that, that we've been shown that the cornerstone to, to understanding what it means to be human and, and where all of this is headed. How, how could we keep silent about that? We all, every one of us talks about the things that we love. And the thing that we love most is Jesus. We believe that that's worth sharing. And, and yes, living with an outward missionary attitude is difficult, but you were never intended to do this alone. As we get further into the vision series, we'll, we'll talk more about what it looks like uh, to gather in smaller groups throughout the week and to live out the mission of God in, in boardrooms and classrooms and around barbecues and dining room tables. And, and we have forms and, and and functions and names set in place to help us live out these identities. Because to be an effective sent one, you, you got to have people around you that are on the same mission, that they're living out the same life. You were never meant to do this without other people around you. And you were certainly never meant to do this without God. In Jesus' parting words to his disciples, which we read earlier, he commissions them and, and he sends them out into the world uh, as a community and he tells them that he's headed back to the Father. But in the same breath, he tells them that they're not alone. Don't you love that? He says, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. And surely I am what? with you always to the very end of the age. God is not saying, 
Go do my mission while I watch. He's saying, come join the mission that I'm on with me in participation. I'm, I'm already up to something in the world. I'm already at work in the lives of your classmates and your coworkers and your teachers and your neighbors. I, I'm already there. Come and join me in that. Because God will never ask you to, to be something that he's not. And he's never going to ask you to do things that he hasn't already done. And he's never going to call you to a mission or a task in which he won't actively right now in the present empower you to do. So rather than running away from this calling, which is my impulse, and I'm sure some of yours, we want to be a community that opens ourselves up to what God has for us next that comes to him with open hands and says, God, I'm ready. You can send me, recognizing that this is part of who we are. We are sent one. You're already a sent one. You're already a missionary, as as complex as that word is. And so we say, God, we just want what's next. We recognize that we are part of an Abrahamic family of of blessing, that we don't exist for ourselves alone, that the mission of God has a church and not the other way around, that we are sent ones getting caught up in the activity of the Trinity for the glory of God and the redemption of humanity. Let's pray.